morning. Uh, well, just to get started this morning, um, this is obviously a little different. Uh, this has been a very unusual week, and I've been saying this is, uh, has kind of felt like a month more than a week. Um, but I invited the elders, or a few of the elders are here this morning, uh, so I'm not preaching just to empty chairs, although it is mostly empty chairs in here this morning. Um, with that said, before we even get started, um, I'd really like just to open up with us reading the Word of God. And so I asked uh, one of our elders, Mike Owens, if he would come up and read Romans 8, starting verse 26 through the end of the chapter. Hopefully this is just encouraging for us. So, Mike, thank you. The groanings, too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mike. So uh, this week, obviously, is um, we're sitting here pretty much in an empty building. I've been thinking a lot about what is the church, and I think more than anything, it's been obvious that uh, uh, this week, it, it's obviously that the church is more than this building. We call this building a church, but it's empty right now, and really, it's been empty most this week. Listen, the church enters this building on Sunday mornings. The church is a people, the church are are you that are watching right now, and the local church about a uh, part of Country Oaks is, is you that are a part of this congregation, and you are the church. Um, people are the church, and I just want to remind us that as we go through this week, and I don't know how long uh, this, this whole thing is going to be going on, um, but we're going through this together, and to be honest, we need each other, and so I'm thankful um, uh, that we've been reaching out to each other in different ways and uh, with technology. I'm proud of our church. 
As Craig mentioned earlier, uh, everyone that's over the age of 65 should have got a phone call, and if you didn't, um, you're not in our database, please write an email in. We'd love to get in contact with you. Should have got a phone call. We have a, we have a group of, of people that have written in that want to serve. Um, it's been really encouraging seeing this, and I've been wondering, not just thinking about the church, but I've been also wondering, because I know God is sovereign, why God has had us for over a year now talking about unity. We've been in 1 John, and we spent a ton of time in 1 John. We've been in Ephesians. We've been talking about a unity, unity for so long now. Why unity? And it's just ironic as we are separated right now physically that we've been studying and talking about unity for so long here. And um, I think it's appropriate because it's going to be that understanding of unity and serving one another that is going to be so important as we are not physically together. And again, being physically together is important, and we will be back together at some point. Um, I want to be clear why we're meeting online right now, and I want to make this very clear because I know there's some people that are frustrated with the church that we aren't meeting together through this. We're meeting online not, I want to be clear, not because we are afraid. As, as Mike just read, Romans 8, 38 um, says, As for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, or love of Christ Jesus our Lord. And we're, we're not afraid. We're trying to be submissive to the best we can uh, to our government. And that's why we are not meeting together this morning. And again, I say to the best of our ability at some point, we're going to say, hey, this is more important than what we're being asked to do. And uh, we haven't been there yet. So we're thinking through that as an elder board. We're listening to, to other churches and people, how they're handling this. And that's why we're meeting online this morning. And it's going to be a week-by-week -week thing. I would encourage you, as Craig said, to keep your um, eyes on Facebook. That's going to be our information um, hub, and we're going to get, that's where the information is going to be uh, coming out first um, from our church and what we're doing. Um, you don't have to have a Facebook account. I just want to make that clear. I don't have a Facebook account. I really don't like Facebook very much, to be honest, um, but I am thankful for Facebook through all of this, and um, I'm able to check everything and look at live stream without an account, and so you don't need an account. You can still check out our page um, if you don't have a Facebook account. Um, before I would get started, I think more than any other Sunday, I don't know who's listening this morning. And so I, I would uh, fail if I didn't address a certain group, and that's those that might not have a relationship with the Lord. I want you to know that you shouldn't be afraid either of this virus. Right? This virus can only harm your body. That's the worst that could happen. Matthew 10, 28 makes it clear. And do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. If you're not a believer, you should have a real sense of fear and not because of this virus. The Bible is clear that we are all sinners and we have sinned against a holy God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And that's talking about the second death. That's talking about hell, wrath for eternity. But there's good news this morning. God is just, he will punish, but God is also love. And I want you to hear that. In 1 John 4.7 it says this, 
beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever love, loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, or anyone that does not love, does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is a fancy word. It just means Jesus, the son, has satisfied the payment we owed. He took our place. He took our punishment. Because God is love, he sent his son, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was raised on the third day as victorious, conquering death. God is offering you a gift this morning. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Romans 6.23 again says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I would just say trust in him this morning. Put your faith in Christ. With that said, let me pray and we'll get into our sermon. Dear Heavenly Father God, Lord, we know that you are sovereign, you are in control. We rest in that this morning, Lord. You knew this day was coming. You knew this day where I would be preaching from this pulpit to a pretty much empty uh, sanctuary here, Lord, yet there's people listening. God, this surprised us, but it didn't surprise you. But I pray that you're with our church, Lord. We are still the church. We are still one body, even though we are in different households right now, Lord. Help us to, to serve one another and love one another the best we can in this situation, Lord. God, I pray that you protect us, Lord. I pray that you protect those uh, that are high risk in this, in this time with this virus coming, Lord. But ultimately, we know you're in control, Lord. There is no fear. God, help us to just trust in you. Help us to be confident in you. Help us to look for opportunities to glorify you in this time, Lord. They're everywhere right now. I pray that we don't pass them up, Lord. I pray families grow stronger together, that dads step up in, in leading families in prayer and worship and reading the words. And, and if they're single moms that, that have children at home right now, Lord, I pray that you give them the energy to do that. God, be with us right now, Lord. I pray this strengthens your church. I pray that this time strengthens Country Oaks, the local church, Lord. God, we don't know what the future holds, but you do, and we find rest in that, Lord. If there's someone that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they, they just right now, Lord, in their hearts, cry out to you for mercy and grace. In your son's name, amen. If you would, turn with me to Ephesians 4.4. 4. We are going to continue going through the book of Ephesians because God is sovereign, and this is where he has us this Sunday. Ephesians 4, 4, if you would read along with me, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who ascended is the one 
or he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. It's kind of ironic this morning that this is the first Sunday, and we don't know how many Sundays we'll be doing this, so hopefully not very many. The first Sunday that we're uh, teaching online like this is one of the hardest passages I've ever had to teach on before. So at least I won't get any criticism right after the sermon. Um, I just won't check on the comments as we... I could look at those later. Um, there's three points of the, the sermon this morning. Christ's gifts given to individuals. That's the first point. We went over that last week. The second point is this. Christ's gifts given by his victory. And the third point is Christ's gifts given to the church. Again, last week we went over Christ's gifts given to individuals. And that's verse 7. And I'm just going to review that real quick. Verse 7 says this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And there's three observations that we made last week with this one verse. Right? The first observation was this. Every Christian has a gift to build up the body. Look at verse 7 again. It says this. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Right? Each one of us has a gift. The second observation that we made last week is this. Your gift is unique. It's unique. Verse 7, again, it says this. Given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In 1 Peter 4.10 it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Greek, or the gift in Greek is singular. Right? We each have a gift, one gift. Does that mean we only have one gift? Well, my guess, I said this last week, is that we each have one gift, which is a unique combination of many giftings. Meaning your spiritual gift is completely unique to you. It's like a, a fingerprint. It's unique and it's needed within the church. The third observation we made last week is your gift is measured. Look at verse 7 again. It says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That word measure in Greek is metron, a unit of measurement. This, this word conveys that Christ not only gives each believer a gift, but he also determines the amount of that gifting. Some people in the church, in other words, are more gifted than others, and, and that's Okay. God has sovereignly measured out how gifted each one of you, each one of us are. And because of that, there should be no jealousy in the body. It's important, right? What's important about this is not how gifted you are. What's important is how you, are you using your gifts, your gift. How are you serving within the body? So those are the three observations of verse 7. Every Christian has a gift. Your gift is unique. Your gift is measured, right? So the first point is Christ's gifts given to individuals within the church. The second point this morning, Christ's gifts given by his victory. Let me read verse 7 again. It says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You know what jumped out at me when I first read this and started studying Ephesians 4 verse 7? Is the word Christ's gift. The words Christ's gifts. It's not the Holy Spirit's gifts. I would just have assumed it would have said the measure of the Holy Spirit's gifts. It's Christ's gifts. Why is that? Well, I think verses 8 
through 10 tell us why that is. So let's look at verse 8. It says this. Therefore it says, Paul's about to quote the Old Testament. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Paul here is quoting Psalms 68. Which really, he's not just quoting the Psalms. He's giving a summary, I believe, of the entire Psalm. Psalm 68 is a victory psalm. It's written by David to celebrate God's victory in war. And Paul is applying this psalm to to Jesus. In other words, Jesus is victorious. Jesus is victorious. Look at verse 8 again. It says, Therefore, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Look at verse 9. In saying he ascended... What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he may fill all things. Paul, here in verse 9 and 10, is explaining the quote in verse 8. He's explaining what exactly that quote means um, when it comes to Jesus. And just to be honest here, this is a very difficult passage. There are many godly men that disagree on this passage, especially the part that says he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. Most agree on the ascended part. So let's just look at that real quick. When it's talking about the ascended part, it's talking about Jesus' ascension, right? That you find in Acts 1-9 where Jesus, after his resurrection, after his death and resurrection, he ascended to heaven, which was a display of Christ's victory. Right? Not only that, this, this showed Jesus' authority. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he was given all authority. We see that in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth have, have been given to me. And I just want to pause right there. Jesus has all authority. I love the, the devotion that um, Zach put out this week. Where he talks, it shows in the Gospels, and Zach talks about that all of Jesus' authority is authority over, over the physical world. He has authority over the spiritual world. That's why he cast out demons. Demons just listen to him. He has authority over sickness. It's something that we need to, to rest in in this time where uh, we are struggling with how to interact with the government. We're struggling how to interact with this virus that's going around. We need to understand and have confidence and, and, and find our rest in the fact that Jesus has all authority. He has all authority. Therefore, he has the authority to give gifts. That's the point of this passage right here. It's exactly what happens. Think about it. After the ascension, that's in um, where he ascends to the right hand uh, of the Father in Acts 1-9. We have Acts 2 right after that, and that's the day of Pentecost when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to his people to empower them for works of ministry. And most agree on this, that, that this is what Paul is talking about. Where the disagreement comes on is the word descended. Descended. Look at verse 9 again. Verse 9 says, In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all all the heavens, that he might fill 
all things. Now, like I said, there's a lot of disagreement on this passage. There's two main views. There's a couple other views too, but there's two main views. The first view is this. When it talks about Jesus descending, it is that Jesus descended into Hades. Many say that after Jesus' death and before his resurrection, Jesus was sent down to Hades to proclaim victory to Satan and the demons. Uh, the people that support this view use 1 Peter 3.19 to support it. And there's many godly men that I love, that I look up to, that believe this is what this passage is talking about, and that's what 1 Peter 3.19 is talking about. The second view is this, that Jesus descended to the earth in his incarnation. The lower regions talked about here refer to the earth as opposed to the heavens. Thus, Jesus descended to the earth... Um, is another way of referring to his incarnation. In other words, the Son of God, the creator of everything, descended from his place in heaven and humbled himself, Philippians 2, being born in the likeness of men and even went to the cross. But after his death and resurrection, resurrection he ascended in victory as Lord of all. Personally, this is the view of I lean towards the second view that the descended, descending is talking about Jesus' incarnation, that he descended from heaven and became um, human and walked with us. But here's the important thing. Either way, the main point of this passage is the same. It's not talking about Jesus' descension. The focus here is his ascension. Right? The main point is Jesus' victory. He was victorious. And in his victory, he gave gifts. Look at verse 8 again. It says this, verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Historically, we need to understand the context of this. Historically, kings, after they would win a battle, would have a victory parade. They would display in this victory parade all the spoils they won in victory. And they would also display all the prisoners freed from captivity. Men imprisoned by the enemy that they just destroyed. It was a joyous event as prisoners of war were set free and coming home and being displayed in front of the whole country. I believe Paul is using this as an analogy. Look at verse 8. It says, therefore, it, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. I believe that's us. It's, it's the church. We were all captives of Satan. Right? Satan was our ruler. That's clear in Ephesians 2.1, which says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air. That's Satan. He was our prince before we were saved. Satan was our father. John 8.44, You are of your father, the devil. Not only that, we were under the dominion of darkness. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, in Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus conquered Satan, sin, and death, and, and he is victorious. And he led a host of captives to freedom. Look at verse 8 again. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. 
In other words, Jesus, just like a king that won a battle, took all the spoils of his victory and he gave them to his people as gracious gifts. You know what this means? Your spiritual gift was costly. Your spiritual gift was costly. It was won in battle by Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. Sovereignly, Christ gave you gifts or a gift to use to build up the body. Your gift was costly. And you're a steward of that gift. First Peter 4.10 makes that clear. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. That's a command. Use it to serve one another within the church. Use it to serve one another as a good steward. In other words, you are responsible for that gift and how you use it. So what John MacArthur says, and I love, love this quote, it says, Do not, you, or, not to use our gift is an affront to God's wisdom, a rebuff of his love and grace and a loss to his church. We did not determine our gift, deserve it, or earn it. But we all have a gift from the, from the Lord. And if we do not use it, his work is weakened, and his heart is grieved. So the first point, again this morning, is Christ's gifts given to individual. We, we all have a spiritual gift that was given to us. The second point this morning is Christ's gift given by his victory. Your gift was costly. And the third point this morning is Christ's gift given to the church. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd and teacher. Shepherds and teachers, right? These these men are gifts to the church. God has gifted these men, and then he gave them to the church. And there's four groups listed here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, slash teachers. And we'll talk about that a little bit more next week when we get to that. Today, we're just going to look at the first two listed here. The first two gifts to the church, men gifted and given to the church, and that's the apostles and prophets, the apostles and prophets. I actually want to start by looking back at Ephesians 2.19. So if you would turn to Ephesians 2.19 real quick. Ephesians 2.19 says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Right? Remember, we were brought near. We were brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 20 built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So I want to look at verse 20 again. It says, built, built on the foundation of the the apostles and prophets. That word built in, in Greek is a passive participle. It's passive. Look at verse 22, because we see the same thing. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. That Greek word again, it's one Greek word. Being built together is one Greek word in Greek, and it's in the passive voice. In other words, the temple is passively being built. This temple is passively being built by God. In other words, God is the one acting. He's the one building his temple which is clear in all of Ephesians 1 through 3, and that's the point that Paul is making, right? God is the one acting. You just read through Ephesians 
the first three chapters, God is the one acting. And really a summary statement is Ephesians 2.8, which says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your doing. It is a gift of God. He is the one acting. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. He is active. God is building his church. He is building his temple, brick by brick. And guess what? We're the bricks. He's slowly building this temple, and it's continuously being built, and we are the bricks. But I want you to see the foundation. The temple is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Look at verse verse 19. This is what it says. But you are fellow citizens. We've been brought near. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The apostles and prophets are foundational to the spiritual temple. These men, these men are gifts to the church. Ephesians four eleven again, and he gave the apostles and prophets. And then verse twelve says to equip the saints for works of ministry for building up the body of Christ. These are gifts to the church, but they're also foundational to the church. What are apostles and prophets? I just want to quickly go over. What apostles and prophets are. Let's start with apostles. The basic meaning for apostle is just one sent, one sent on a mission. Apostle is referring to someone chosen, commissioned, and sent by Jesus himself. In a narrow sense, apostleship is restricted to those who have seen the risen Lord and have been commissioned by him personally. Clearly, this fits the twelve and Paul. In a more generic sense, the title apostles seemed to represent those in Scripture in the first century sent out to start new churches. Men sent out by Jesus to start churches where there is no church. Like Peter, who was an apostle, who was the one that started the church in Jerusalem. He was sent out. Acts 2, he proclaimed the gospel, and we see the first church. In Jerusalem, or Paul, who was the one that was sent out, commissioned by Jesus to start and plant churches, and we see him, he's the one that planted the church in Ephesus and so many other places. The apostles were sent out by Christ, and here's what is important they were sent out with the authority of Christ. When they spoke, in other words, they spoke with authority. What's that mean? When they spoke, their words held the same authority as Jesus' words, who was God. In other words, their words held the same authority as God's words. This is why, and I've said this before, this is why some of your Bibles don't have red letters. And if your Bible has a red letter, it's not inferior some way. I just want to be that clear. Uh, there's just some Bibles that have the conviction that they don't put red letters in there because the black letters are just as authoritative as the red letters. In fact, listen to what Acts 2.41 says. It says this, Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's Peter proclaiming the gospel and the apostles, and that's the first church. We see in Acts 2.41, look what it says in 42, this church, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was scripture. The apostles' teaching, that was the authoritative word 
of God and, they, and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The apostles had authority. They were sent out by Jesus with his authority to start new churches. What about prophets? Well, in Ephesians, I believe the prophets that are talked about here are New Testament prophets. Why do I think that? Well, verse 11 says that these prophets are gifts to the church. The church. So they have to be New Testament prophets. New Testament prophets refers to one who is empowered by the Holy Spirit with the gift of prophecy for the purpose of edification, comfort, and encouragement, as well as the purpose of uh, understanding and communicating the mysteries of God's revelation to the church. Again, like the apostles, their words held authority. They spoke authoritatively, just like the Old Testament prophets, right? The Old Testament prophets would say, thus says the Lord, and then they would speak. That's pretty bold. I want you to think about this, and I've talked about this before, but after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus went up to, to heaven. There was no scripture. Right? Scripture wasn't written yet. That means during Pentecost and years after, this church, right, when the church was just getting started and trying to figure out how to, how to, to live in a, in a new covenant, there was no New Testament scriptures. So at least, so question, how did Jesus, or how did God lead his church in the first century? Well, he sent apostles, the 12 and Paul, to start churches and lead churches. But he also raised up prophets within the local church. Men to speak and teach authoritatively for, for God. Men inspired by, by God. And again, this was before the New Testament canon was completed, before the New Testament was written. Before all the, the New Testament books that we have today. Apostles were sent out to start new churches and prophets were raised up within the local church to speak authoritatively for God. But here's what I think is interesting. Look at the analogy in Ephesians 2.21. Again, this is the temple, right, is the analogy and this temple is growing. And in verse 21 it says this, "In, in whom the whole structure, that's the temple, the whole structure is being joined together and grows into a, a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, right? Being built together is one word in Greek. It's, it's in the present tense. It's a continuous aspect. It's why it's translated being built together. It's continual. It's happening. Today it's happening. I hope there's some that heard this message and heard the gospel, and I hope they became a brick to the temple. But the foundation is already laid. Look at verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostle and prophets. Apostles and prophets. I believe the unique function of apostle and New Testament prophets are foundational, meaning completed. The foundation has been laid, built on the foundation of the apostle and prophets. All right, turn with me actually to Revelation twenty-two eighteen. Again, we've read this before, talking about the apostles and prophets. These are the last words ever written by the last living apostle. And, and we need to take, hear the weight of that or feel the weight of that. Because this is a very stern warning given by the apostle John. 
Revelations 22.18 says this, I warn everyone, let me just pause, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of the, of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things say, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Do you, do you hear the completeness of that? There's a completeness in these last four verses. And I want you to think about that. Because in the Old Testament, there was this expectation of new revelation coming, a new covenant that was coming. When the Old Testament closed, people expected a new covenant. They expected that God would would raise up men to speak authoritatively. New revelation from God. But in the close of the New Testament, it closes with no expectation of new revelation. There is a completeness The Bible is completed. Therefore, I believe we shouldn't expect any more authoritative revelation from God because the New Testament canon is closed. The scripture, old and new, have been foundational for the church for 2,000 years. I'm just going to read verse 18 again because I think it's that important. I want you to hear the seriousness of this warning. Remind you, this is the last thing ever written by the last living apostle. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. The apostles and prophets are foundational, and the foundation has been laid. We have it. In the scriptures, God's word, the foundation to the church, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, the most important part of the foundation. The word of God needs to be foundational to our church and the church universal. So those are our three points this morning. Christ's gifts given to individuals. We all, again, I want to encourage you, we all have a spiritual gift given to us. Christ's gift, the second point, Christ's gifts given by his victory, and I want to make this clear, our gift was costly. And you are a steward of that gift. And the third point is this, Christ's gifts given to the church. Christ gifted certain men and gave them to the church as gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor slash teacher. And we're going to look at evangelist and pastor teacher next week. But listen, before we end this morning, I want to remind all of us, as we've been saying the last few weeks and probably every single Sunday since I've been in this pulpit and before me, the men that have been in this pulpit, that God is sovereign. He is sovereign. And that's why we are going to continue to go through Ephesians in this time. We're just going to pick up the next verse. And listen, if I have to be home with my phone live streaming, we're going to continue to go through Ephesians. Because God knew this was coming, and he knew exactly where we would be in Ephesians. And I hope you find comfort in that as a church. I know I do. I find comfort in that. That's one of the reasons I'm going to continue to go through Ephesians. 
God is sovereign. He's in control. He's good. Let's trust in him through this time. I know it's been difficult for some. I know there's people that are stressing maybe about the virus. I mean, people anxious about their jobs, the financial situation we're finding ourselves in. But there's nothing to fear. God is in control. God is in control. So let me please just encourage you, stay connected, keep checking Facebook, right? And if you're, if you're high risk, stay at home and let us serve you. Right? Let us serve you as a church. I would just ask that. It's just, let me end with this. There's four things, and, and I want to repeat some of the things that um, Craig said, because I just think they're important. We need to still meet the best we can. Right? If that's not physically meeting together, we need to meet online the best we can. And so I want to be clear, I, last week's questions are still online. I didn't make questions this week because most of our small groups didn't meet this week or last week. Um, I would ask that you would figure out your growth groups, figure out how to meet together through Zoom, Google Meet, Hangout, whatever um, technology that you can, can do, um, and try to figure that out this week. Uh, the questions from last week are still online, use those questions, but mostly pray for each other this week and try to figure out how to do this, and we will get better if we have to do this next week, right, the following week, and so I would ask that. Second, I just want to remind you that there's going to be daily devotions. We're trying to keep them to around five minutes. They're going to happen Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Wednesday night. We're going to have live stream at seven. Um, This week, we're going to talk about family worship, and how appropriate is that, right? together as families. I, I just thinking, all right, God, what are you doing in this time? You do everything for your glory and for our good. So, so what are you doing to glorify yourself? And I know there's thousands, if not millions of things he's doing to glorify himself. But one of the things that just keeps jumping out at me is that he has stopped everything. And we're together as families right now. And so what an opportunity as families to come together and worship together, to get rid of the 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 stuff that distracts us, the phones and everything else. I mean, we, we don't have school. We have like nothing going on. Let's come together as families, as family units and pray together, read scripture together and sing together. And I am the worst singer there is. And we do it as a family and kids love it. So we're going to be talking about that Wednesday at seven, hopefully to encourage you and your family to do that. Please pay attention to Facebook. It's where we're going to have most of our um, up-to-date information about what's going on as, as a church. Um, this is going to be a week-by-week uh, process, so you're going to have to stay connected. Um, we're going to be making decisions by, um, by the week, so I would ask you uh, to just pay attention to Facebook. Again, we'll have those daily devotions, and, and they're only five minutes, so listen to them as a family, as a, as a way of staying connected to the body the best we can, right? As our hashtag is distancing together. Let's do that well. And um, I'm excited to see what God's going to do. I just really believe in my heart that this, in the long run, somehow is going to bring us, Country Oaks, even closer together. And I'm excited to see how God does that. With that said, let's pray and we'll be done for today. Dear Heavenly Father God, Lord, I thank you for this church, Lord. I'm not talking about this building, Lord, and for how much I love this building, it's not the church. We may call it the church, but it's not the church. The church are the people right now, Lord, that are listening to us, God, that are in their homes right now, Lord, 
are connected to Country Oaks, Lord. I love these people so much, God, and and I know this church has a deep love for each other, God. I pray that you keep us connected, Lord. That you keep our hearts just, just craving, Lord, fellowship. That when we come back together, Lord, whenever that is for the first time, it's going to be such a joyous event, Lord. Yet at the same time, while we are, we are separated right now, Lord, we are staying connected the best we can through technology, God. And I thank you, Lord. Technology in a lot of ways is a curse. At the same time, technology is in so many ways is a blessing. We are blessed that we can live stream right now, Lord. We are blessed that we can meet together in groups over the internet, Lord. We are blessed that we can Skype our our cross-cultural workers around the world and keep tabs on them and see how they're doing, Lord, and, and what's going on in their lives, Lord. That's such a blessing. I pray that we take full advantage of those blessings that you have provided for us, Lord. But ultimately, God, through this all, as week goes by, Lord, another week, and as we look into this next week and have no clue what is going to happen, Lord, I I just pray we rest, we rest in your sovereignty, your wisdom, and your goodness, Lord, that we know you know you're good and you're going to take care of us and there is nothing, nothing to fear, Lord. I thank you for that. In your son's name, amen.